is this. Have you ever felt that in your walk with God, um, that you've fallen at the first hurdle? Have you ever felt that you failed God just a moment after um, you resolved never to fail God again? And I know uh, that I have, personally. Um, it may be that you've been challenged by a talk at church or in a conversation or um, whilst reading the Bible, and you've thought that from this point onwards, I'm going to do better. I'm going to uh, live a better Christian life. And you may have been challenged, um, for example, by God's holiness and been disgusted again at your own sin and fallenness and thought that I'm never going to fall into that sin that's plagued me for years ever again. Or maybe you've been blown away uh, by God's extravagant love and you've uh, been rem- reminded of that person that you find it so hard to love and you've thought that this week... And um, you're going to love that person uh, like God has loved you. Or you might be reminded of uh, the hopeless eternity that awaits your non-believing friends. And you've thought to yourself that this week I'm going to try my hardest to speak to them about Jesus. And all these things are great things to do, aren't they? But how often have we made resolutions like that? And then the very next day, or even the next minute, uh, we've failed to keep, to keep them, to live up to them. And I'm told you're doing this series, uh, Big People Who Make Big Mistakes. And I hope that that is uh, an encouragement, that these people of great faith and courage in the Bible, they still uh, made mistakes. And they fell at the very first hurdle, just like we do. But God uh, still was faithful. And today's example of Abraham, the faithless, um, is no different. Um, So I have three headings this afternoon to help uh, us look at Abraham's story. And the first is... Abraham, the faithful father. And just to say, this is, this is before Abraham changed his name to Abraham, so uh, it's the same person, but different spellings. So Abraham, the faithful father. So when we think of people in the Bible, faithful people, um, Abraham has got to be uh, top of the list, or near the top at least. He was chosen by God to be the father of his uh, people. Um, and just before we get on to look at Abraham's antics in Egypt, which we heard uh, being read, I just want to look uh, quickly at what just happened before that story. Now, Genesis 12, the chapter, is actually quite a significant chapter in the Bible. There's some people who said that if you were to split the Bible in half, um, the first half would be Genesis 1 to 11, and then the second half would be Genesis 12 to the, rest, the end of the Bible. And that, if you look at your Bibles, obviously isn't halfway through. Um, but the reason for this is the promise that God makes to Abraham in verses 1 to 3. So if you turn to your Bibles, Genesis 12, I'll just read verses 1 to 3 on this promise. So he says, uh, The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. And so God makes this promise to Abraham in uh, verses 1 to 3, that he will show him a new land, and that in it his descendants will become a great nation, and that they will be a blessing to all peoples on earth. And so the reason that the second half of the Bible second half uh, starts here is that from this point onwards the rest of the Bible and the rest of history right up to today is God keeping this promise to Abraham to have a great nation 
that will bless all peoples. And so Abraham, who we see in verse 4, is 75 years old, and he doesn't have any children. He will be the father of this people. Now that is an amazing promise to receive, isn't it? Um, But I think it's one that would be pretty hard to believe as well, even if you weren't 75 and childless. But Abraham does believe. Here, he is the true faithful. um, He lives up to his true faithful reputation. He leaves, like in verse 4 it says, uh, he leaves his home, he leaves his security, and he takes his equally elderly wife, and he just sets off believing God's promise. And that really is faith, isn't it? Abraham is trusting in God's promise, and then he's acting on them. And it is uh, an example for us to follow. There are many promises in the Bible that God gives us that we can have faith in. Jesus tells us, for example, in Matthew chapter 6, that we do not need to worry about the future because God will give us all we need to live for him. We're also told uh, to go and speak of Jesus and that he will be with us as we do so. And we're told also that despite what life entails, no matter how hard it is physically or emotionally or physically or financially, um, God promises that we will be, be able to go home to be with him in heaven for eternity. And so, like Abraham, we are called to have faith, to trust in God's promises and then to act. And as an encouragement, God does keep his promises, no matter how unlikely they may feel. This promise to Abraham, which seems so unlikely at the time, of a great nation, is, is truly what happens. The rest of the Bible is the story of Abraham's descendants. And they do eventually have a son. They call him Isaac, and he is a son called Jacob, who has 12 sons, um, and they become the children of Israel. And we get the story of Joseph, um, being sold into Egypt, into slavery. And then years and years later, the people have grown in Egypt. And we get the story of of Moses. And he leads the great exodus of all the people out of Egypt and eventually to the promised land. And then years pass, and they have great kings like King David and King Solomon, and they win great battles. They, They become a great nation, just like God promised. But the nation, if you know your Old Testament, does not continue to grow forever. The people are unfaithful, and lose battles, and are taken over by foreign kings. It seems like the promise is failing. But then, we come to the climax of the story, and this brings us to Jesus, who is also one of Abraham's descendants through Mary. And by dying on the cross, Jesus makes this promised nation even bigger, because he welcomes all people who trust in him to be part of that family. And so that's us today in this church, um, All Christians in the world are the people that God promised to Abraham. And it is through us going into the whole world, loving others and speaking of Jesus, that the world is blessed, that all peoples are blessed like God promised. And I I absolutely love this truth that we here today are um, the fulfilment, we're part of this promise that God made all those years ago. I think it's amazing. So... Briefly, we've seen that Abraham was a faithful father in this instance. He stepped out and he believed the promise that God used uh, greatly. However, this isn't the whole story. um, And we get onto our second title, which is Abraham, the failed husband. And uh, yeah, this is where we come to the passage that we read earlier, where Abraham uh, really, truly failed dismally as a husband and as a faithful servant. So this, uh, this passage, Genesis 12, 10 to 20, it comes immediately after this promise 
that um, Abram, that God has given to Abram. Um, and he sets out, but then we see things aren't as easy as he might have expected. So if you look at verse 10, there is a famine in the land. So Abram, uh, he decides to leave. He heads to Egypt instead. And it appears that basically what happened is he's arrived in the land that God's going to bless him in. And then the moment that difficulty comes, uh, he decides to shoot off somewhere else. He goes to Egypt instead. And it's a reminder to us, isn't it, that being where God wants us to be and doing what God wants us to do does not mean that we are exempt from suffering. And Abraham experiences that firsthand. So he flees the famine, um, but then arriving in Egypt, he gets scared again, this time of the pharaoh, the powerful king of Egypt, uh, who we can see, if the mood takes him, would just kill people and take their wives for himself. So, as you would be, Abraham is scared for his life and he decides to take matters into his own hands. So can you see what's happening? Twice already, despite hearing firsthand that God had a great plan for him to bless the whole world, Abraham doesn't believe that God can protect him. First, he fears the famine and then now he's fearing the Pharaoh. He's fearing other people. And this is something that uh, we do all the time, isn't it? How often do we worry um, about our future and we don't trust the promise that God loves us and he's in control? Just like Abraham was worried about the future, we worry about our future, we worry about um, money. And just like Abraham feared Pharaoh more than God, we care more about what other people think of us than what God thinks of us. You might, for example, fear your boss at work or your friends. Um, you might fear what they would think of you if they really knew what you believed. Or have you ever been so full of doubt that you wonder even if God exists, but you're too ashamed to tell anyone? All of us, we try to keep what's on the inside, the sin and the guilt and the shame, from the public eye. We fear rejection. Uh, we do it because we all have uh, real-life problems and real-life fears. And we're also doing it because, like Abraham in this story, we don't believe God's promises. The promise that he will give us all that we need and that he has accepted us, so we do not need to fear if other people reject us. And in this case, in this story, Abraham's lack of faith uh, leads him to act in a terribly selfish and ungodly way. And it is it's quite a short story, um, so I think it's quite easy to miss uh, the magnitude of Abraham's actions. But uh, if we look at verses 11 to 13, I'll just read them out again. Verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. So he plots this lie to tell uh, the Egyptians that his wife is actually his sister. And in saying that, he's basically saying to the Pharaoh that uh, he can have her, that this beautiful woman is just my sister and you can have her. Um, and I don't know, how would you feel if you're married, if your spouse uh, treated you like that? It is, it is terrible, isn't it? He is allowing his wife to be taken off to be one of Pharaoh's many women to do with as he pleases, without so much of a complaint. And if we look at verse 13, um, this reveals his motives. I'll read it again. He says to Sarah, Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, 
and my life will be spared because of you. So it is clear that Abraham is looking out for himself. He doesn't seem to care for the welfare or sanctity of his own wife or to be faithful to God. He chooses worldly security over trusting God and he's doing it at the expense of his own wife. And like Abraham, we are all tempted probably every single day to trust in our own strength over trusting in God's. And like Abraham, this can lead us to act in terrible ways. And outrageously, we go on in the story, we see that Abraham's selfishness seems to pay off. Pharaoh does desire Abraham's wife, and he takes her. And uh, verse 16, it says, He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. And we do see this in life, don't we? We see um, selfish and unrighteous people prospering. There are countless people in the world who are very rich and powerful, but are very corrupt and evil. Or maybe you can think in your own life, when you've acted in uh, ways you knew to be wrong at the time, but you've done a right out of it. And for Abraham, in this story, um, this success and comfort lasts quite a while, doesn't it? He acquires all these animals and servants and camels. Uh, he, must, he must be loving it. Instead of the famine, he's got food and he's got servants. Um, and he doesn't need to fear the Pharaoh anymore because he's given him his wife. But it is uh, such a superficial happiness, isn't it? Um, and it does not last. God steps in and he does something about the situation. And what he does is he exposes Abraham's sin. You can imagine Abraham is there, he's living the bachelor's life again, uh, content with all his animals and servants. And then he hears the news that in, in verse 17, the Lord is inflicting serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household. And if you think quickly back to that promise uh, that God made to Abraham, um, the end of verse 3, part of it would be that Abraham and his descendants would be a blessing to all peoples on earth. And here we are, in the very next story, as a result of Abraham's actions, the Egyptians are being cursed with diseases. So it looks like, for all intents and purposes, that God's promise is, uh, is failing, because Abraham failed at the very first hurdle to be faithful. And so now Pharaoh has found out about uh, the lie, and Abraham is getting scared again. And maybe you're in a situation like Abraham right now where there are lies and sin in your life that you're aware of but have done nothing about. And God uses situations and other people like this to expose our sin and to help us to grow and to bring us back under his promise. And I've experienced this and it isn't nice to have your heart exposed. It isn't nice for yourself to see what your own heart is like and then for others to see your sin and pride too. But out of love, God exposes our sin in order for us to grow. He is being faithful to his promise to grow us and to make us more like Christ. Out of love for us and for his glory. So it is out of love that God exposes our sin in order for us to grow. So I'd encourage you to seek out uh, those relationships within church um, where people can know you well and they can see you in your worst moments. And they can speak the truth of God's love to you and remind you of his promises. So, Abraham is found out. God exposes his sin. And in doing this, he's fulfilling his promise. Because of this, Abraham and Sarah 
end up back in the land where God wants. In verse 20, after having rebuked Abram for lying, Pharaoh sends them on their way. So Abram messes up big time. But God, he steps in, he saves Sarah from Pharaoh, and then brings them back to the land that he had promised. So what can we learn uh, from this story in, uh, of Abram? As I mentioned earlier, Abram experiences hardship in the famine and the danger from Pharaoh immediately after he steps out in faith. And we do live in a sinful world and we will experience trials and sufferings even when we are faithful. Life is not like a, a vending machine where you put in money and you get something out of equivalent value. We can think that, can't we? We can think if we do good things or we keep resolutions that we will prosper and God will bless us. But the truth actually is that we do not get what we deserve, but that that is good news because we so often fail like Abram. If God had treated Abram how he deserved, then Abram would have been a complete failure, wouldn't he? Instead, God is faithful despite Abram's faithlessness and he steps in. So as Christians, be encouraged that despite your failure um, and that you so often don't keep those resolutions you are in good company um, you're, you're as faithless as Abraham was but God uh, remains as faithful and forgiving to you as he was to Abraham but there is uh, a bit more to the story I think um, as you said earlier the Bible truly is um, one story God, throughout history, is keeping this promise that he made to Abraham um, to have a great nation and to bless all nations. But throughout history, starting right from the beginning, um, right after this promise, Abraham wasn't faithful. And all the people um, since then have not been faithful as well. Despite their great reputations, all the Old Testament heroes, more times than not, they were, I'm losing my notes, were selfish and they acted faithlessly. And this is why the Bible has to be all about Jesus, all the way through, because he is the only truly faithful one. He is the true and better Abraham. Uh, Tim Keller is a, an American pastor, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he preached a great sermon showing how Jesus, Jesus is the true and better fulfilment of all the Old Testament heroes. Um, and he says, regarding Abraham, that he says this, I'll read it, Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void not knowing where he went to create a new people of God. I'll uh, read it again. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void not knowing where he went to create a new people of God. So we see that Jesus is called to do exactly the same as Abraham and a lot more. And he does it and remains faithful. Just like Abraham, uh, Jesus leaves his home in heaven. He comes to a foreign, unwelcome world. He faces homelessness and hunger and temptation and pain and rejection and fear. Yet not once does he stop being faithful to his father. And he even endures the agony of the cross and he is separated from God. And in doing this, he makes it possible for us, selfish and ungodly as we are, to be considered 
faithful children of God. Jesus uh, lived the faithful life that we, just like Abraham, failed to live each day. And then he died the sinner's death that we deserve to die, just like Abraham. And this means that we can be considered as one of God's faithful children despite our failure. We are treated as if we had lived the life that Jesus lived. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, says this. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it is not, uh, and it never will be, what we do that saves us. It's not how quickly that we manage to stop sinning in that certain way, or how well we love the hard-to-love people, or how good we are at telling people about Jesus. If it was down to these things, then we would all be lost, wouldn't we? Just like Abraham. We fall at the very first hurdle so often. But by grace we are saved. It is the gift of God. It's because Jesus did all those things. He lived that perfect life that we are now rewarded with, as if we had lived it, because he died the death that we deserve. And so, uh, let that be what motivates us. Now that we know it doesn't depend on how well we keep those resolutions, let's rest in Christ's finished work and then live like it. The pressure is off. This is faith, to to rest in what Christ has done and then to live like it. So be the person who puts to death that sin in your life, not because that will make you more forgiven or more pleasing to God, but because Jesus has already lived that life for you and by his spirit he will help you be the person who can love others extravagantly just like God loves you not because your salvation depends on it but because Jesus has already done it and he's taken the punishment for you when you fail to do it be the person who will share Jesus with other people not because it's something that you need to do to earn God's favour but because you already have God's unconditional love and favour And that is something worth sharing. And when we fail to live as we should, do not be surprised or defeated because we're not saved by our works. So this series um, that you've been doing, Big People Who Make Big Mistakes, always will point us uh, to Jesus. He was the biggest person in the Bible. Um, Though he didn't make any mistakes, he was treated like the biggest sinner so that we who make mistakes every day can be saved if we put our faith in him, if we believe in God's promises, and then we live them. Uh, Let me just pray to finish. Psalm 117 uh, says this, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Father God, we are so aware of um, how often we unfaithful to you Um, we thank you so much for your love and faithfulness to your promises we thank you that you uh, forgive us because of the cross and that there's nothing more that we can do or say to add to that forgiveness 
Um, I pray that we will be people who um, seek to be more like Jesus, that by your spirit um, we will put to death sin in our life, uh, that we will love others more than ourselves, and that we will share this amazing truth with other people. I pray that you'll give us opportunities uh, this week to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.